You are listening to the Point Harbor Church Podcast. Experience a place where you can grow in your faith, connect with others, and discover the story God has for your life. For more resources, visit us online at pointharbor.com. How y'all doing? Doing good? Genesis chapter 3 is where we're at, page 3. If you don't have a Bible, we have those blue Bibles in the seat backs around you, and uh, you can take it home. It's our gift to you. Just put your name in it and bring it back next week. Amen. Um, I told you as we set this up last week <clears throat> that we, um, we love living in the country. We used to live here in the city, and nothing wrong with being a city dweller if that's you, but we, we love living in the country. I should have given one caveat. Robin loves it. You know, she loves the wide openness of it all. I, I do too. And the privacy we're, our nearest neighbor is, you know, that's, our, well, that, that's a truck, that's a semi getting corn. So that's our nearest neighbor right there on that side anyway. And uh, we have some across the road, but anyway, we got a lot of privacy, especially when they plant corn around three uh, sides of our uh, two acres. And we love our garden. We got a garden. We got garden boxes she had me build and our animals in our garden uh, but there's one exception, one exception, one creature my wife hates when she sees it in the garden, and that would be a snake. And that's one reason why we built those garden boxes, because at least you can see the snake a little bit better, uh, at least in theory. And my ministry to my dear wife is I am the snake dispatcher. And, uh, you know, that's just my ministry to my wife. Uh, and you're like, well, John, I mean, you surely you mean you take it like uh, to a park somewhere and let it out in the wild. No, that's not what I mean. Um, if we see a snake, we'll never see that snake again, is what I mean. So anyway, because, why, why? That sounds mean. Listen, my wife has told me, if I see a snake inside the house, we're moving. So I, I believe her. All right, I'm going to preach... Uh, shorter, shock, 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 today, because we have communion at the end of the service. And uh, this famous text in Genesis 3 brings us really the foundation for communion. And you're like, what? And, and some of you are new to this church thing, and that's cool. I'm, I'm happy to have you here or, or watching online. Um, but uh, Genesis chapter 3 is really the foundation for why we celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper. What's communion all about? It's, it's all about Satan and the snake. It's all about sin and shame. It is all about salvation and the Savior, and it's all about suffering and the sacrifice. That's what this text uh, really delineates. And you're like, okay, I've never really connected communion to the Garden of Eden, and I've been in church for a long time, and that's cool, but, but they're intricately linked. They're intricately linked. The fall in the garden is the foundation, the bedrock for the Lord's Supper. And so you'll see, and, and hopefully you have, uh, oh, I forgot to ask you, everybody got notes. Anybody did not get notes and wants notes, because you're going to take some notes. All right, keep your hands up. Our note guys are coming down. Keep your hands up where they can see them until you get your notes. All right. And uh, so, sorry about forgetting that. But the first, the first, number one, Satan and the snake. We're just going to go through it. And this is an amazing passage. Uh, the serpent was more what? Say that word. Crafty, he's a crafty old sneaky snake, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, crafty means shrewd or, or cunning or sneaky. Uh, <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, old Bordeaux down in, uh, down in Louisiana. 
he'd been fishing out in the bayou all day long, and he ran out of night crawlers, you know, and he hadn't caught hardly anything, and he really wanted to catch some big bass. And so he's, but he's about ready to call it a day because he doesn't have his, <clears throat> any more night crawlers. And then he sees a snake right there in the water real close uh, to where he's at with a big old frog in his mouth. And so old Bordeaux knows that, you know, these big bass love frogs. So he decides, I'm going to steal that froggy. And, and the snake was a, a, you know, a water moccasin. So our man Bordeaux, you know, knew he had to be real careful or he'd get bit. So he sneaks up, goes down the water, sneaks up behind the snake, bam, grabs him around the head. The old snake did not like that one bit. You know, he squirms, he fights, he wraps himself around old Bordeaux's arms, trying to get free, but Bordeaux, he's got a real good grip on his head, and then he just pries that frog out of that snake's mouth, and he throws the frog in the bait bucket there, and now he's got a problem, because he's holding on to a snake that can kill you, who's really ticked off. And so, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to get bit. What do, I, what do I do now? But he's got a plan. So old Bordeaux reaches in the back of his bib overalls, and he pulls out that flask of moonshine. And that snake, he's holding his mouth open already, so he just pours a big old shot down there. That snake just starts twitching. His eyes start going around around his head, and then the snake goes limp. And Bordeaux's like, look at there. And he just throws it back in the water, goes back to fishing, you know. And he's just happy as he can be, trying to get that big old bass. Hour later... All of a sudden, something's tapping him on his barefoot toe, and he looks down, and there's that snake, but in the snake's mouth are two more frogs. <laughs> Some of you know, you're like, what? <laughs> the snake's a sneaky snake. So, enter the dragon, enter the dragon. So the serpent's more crafty, and he says to the woman. Now, somebody has an issue with that. He, the snake, said to the woman. They're like, John, snakes don't talk. No kidding. Right? Now, you could say this is, you know, pre, pre-fall. This is, you know, Garden of Eden stuff and, and all. But I think, I think, you know, that's one way. And you're like, well, I, I, that's one reason I don't believe the Bible. Because uh, talk about having snakes to talk. And everybody knows snakes don't talk. Well, most of you never got close enough to one to find out if they talk or not. But secondly, that's one way I believe we know it's satanic, right? When snakes or animals start talking, when, uh, or at least supernatural, but in this instance, satanic. You go home, some of you got dogs and all. We talked about animals, you know, last week and all, and, and you got a dog and, and he, you've been here at church and, and you were here early because you serve. You don't just sit in a service. You also serve in the first service. Amen. All right, that's the five of you that do that. And, and so you've been gone all day, and then after church, you're always hungry because, you know, the preacher took forever, and so you go out to eat. By the time you get home, your dog has been there for hours and hours and hours, and so you go home this afternoon, and you open the door, and if he's meeting you at the door, walking on two feet, holding a, a cup of coffee, and telling you, what took you so long, that's satanic. So the same thing here with a snake. Write down Revelation 12, 9. We don't have time to go there. I wish we did, but we don't. But that talks about the end result when Satan, he calls him that old serpent, is, is put down. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Check that out this afternoon. How does Satan attack me? How does Satan attack me? And I want you to write this down. Because he attacks you the same way he attacked Adam and Eve. 
in the garden. The exact, the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. We know. He basically uses what works, right? If you've got a gun that gets rabbits, you probably should stick with that gun because it gets rabbits. Same with Satan. He, he knows humans, right? He's been watching us for thousands of years, and he's a fallen creature. He was an angel in heaven and then fell, cast out of heaven, and so now he's tearing it up here, and he's tearing you up. Some of you huge. And write these down. You need these. How Satan attacks me. First, Satan questions God's word. And he gets me to question it. Look at this. And, and this is just uh, amazing here. How he lays it out and how it's, you know, just practical in my life. He said to the woman, this is the serpent, did God actually say, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden. So he got it wrong intentionally. Don't eat of any tree. And that's exactly the flip side of what, what God had said, right? You can eat all the trees except how many? One. But what he's saying is the, the, the Bible doesn't mean that. You hear people say that today. Maybe you've said it. The Bible does. That's not for today because he's, he twists God's word. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. She actually added that because God never said that. She may have got a second hand from Adam though. Lest you do what? Die. So, the, but what they're saying is the Bible doesn't mean that. That's not for today. Questioning God's word. Some of you do that. Or you're influenced by people who do that. And the bad thing is nowadays it's not just Satan that's doing that or his peeps that are doing that. It's churches. It's pastors. It's whole denominations who, who basically question God's word. Oh, I don't think that means that. When it clearly does. So Satan questions God's word. That's how he comes at us first. And then he contradicts God's word. Then he just kind of gets it out in the open. He's not playing sneaky anymore. He's playing liar. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So in other words, what is he saying? God's wrong. God's not right. If God's not right, God's not God, but he's also not righteous, right? And that would make him not God. So he says, you, you, you will not surely die. Okay, okay, you know, maybe... Maybe God clearly said that, and I can't explain it away, but it's wrong. It's not for today. It's out of date. It's culturally, politically incorrect. Therefore, it is not true. Like a guy I had not too long ago, dude calls himself a Christian, Christ follower, you know, and, and he, he was arguing with me about something in Scripture, and he was trying to, but I said, no, here, it's clear, it's clear, and he kind of realized, okay, it is clear right there. And he said, oh, finally, he said, okay, all right, all right, fine. I see what the Bible says, but I just don't care. At least he was honest. The implication, God may have clearly said it, but God is wrong. And that's some of you and some of the things you believe, some of the things you receive. You say, well, I, you know, I, I got my own truth. Well, we'll talk to you in a second. Satan questions God's word. And then Satan contradicts God's word, and then Satan condemns God's will. In verse number five, he says, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be, what's that? Like God. You got your own truth. You don't have to know there's God's truth, and it's your truth. You're on the same level with God, knowing good or evil. And so he's saying, hey, you know, God's will for you is not good. God's word for you isn't good, and God's will for you isn't good. God isn't good. He doesn't want what's best for you. He's keeping good stuff from you. Some of you believe that. 
God says don't marry an unbeliever. He's very clear, very clear in Scripture. He doesn't say don't marry an ugly unbeliever. He says don't marry an unbeliever. But she's so hot. She is so hot. She is smoking hot. God's trying to keep you from having a hot wife. Hot pagan wife, good. Holy protective God, not good. That's what some people believe. And they marry, you know, somebody who's not a child of God. And when you marry somebody who's not a child of God, guess who your father-in-law is? Satan. That's some of you. Don't look at, don't look at her right now. Don't look at him. But you know what you did. And hopefully, hopefully they'll come to Jesus, but there's no guarantee, right? God had given them perfect gifts. He had given them everything in the garden, you know, have raspberries, have blueberries, have lemons, have melons, have all this stuff. I just want one thing that you don't touch. There's just one thing. It's right here in the center so you can understand where it's at. Just don't, don't even, don't eat that. That's mine. That's set apart for me, which means then it's holy. And uh, we see what happens. Snake or no snake. Now listen to me. Satan or no Satan, they didn't have to sin. In your life, snake or no snake. Satan or no Satan, you don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. In, in, and I, lo- I love this in, in 1 Corinthians. This, this is an amazing, powerful passage. And some of you need to burn this into your mind and your heart. No temptation. How many temptations? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So in other words, you're not going through what other people don't go through. Now, some people go through, you know, things at a different extreme, but you have a whole bunch of people you can commiserate with, all right, on your temptation. It is not unique to you. But then he says, God is, what's this word? Faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of what? Escape. There's two promises there. He won't let you be tempted above your ability, and he will always, in every temptation, provide a way to escape. Some of you that sinned this week or maybe this morning, in, in that temptation, you fell for it again, and you're like, John, you're telling me I don't have to sin. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, nobody's perfect. It's, it's not about being perfect. This is about being spirit-filled. That's exactly what this is. This is not about being perfect. Yeah, we're all human. We're all going to sin, but there's not one sin that we have to sin is what he's saying. There's not one addiction you have. That, and and I, oh, I don't want to get in trouble here. But, but you don't need, you don't need, if it helped you, awesome, awesome, awesome. But you don't need 12 steps. You need one. That's what God is saying. You don't need all these 12 steps. That helped you, fine. I'm not beating uh, you know, anybody up for that. Praise God for that. But, but he's saying, hey, God provides a way to escape. He always does. That's a promise of God. He won't let you be tempted above that you're able, and he will always provide. Now, it's going to be a short window usually. It'll be a short window. But there is a huge, huge, powerful truth that you need to get here. You're like, okay, well, what's the way of escape for Adam and Eve? What was the way of escape? The same way of escape that my wife has when she's out in the farm and she's in the garden and she sees a snake. What does she do? Okay, yeah, run. And what? Call me. Hey, honey, there's a snake in the garden. It's never soft when there's a snake. Ah, snake. Right? So she runs from it. She doesn't play around with it. And she calls somebody who can deal with it. 
Adam and Eve, what should Adam and Eve have done? Hey, Jesus, there's a snake over here, right here in your garden. Those of you who are constantly falling for the same old sins, learn, you need to learn to say, hey, Jesus, there's a snake over here. I need a little help. I'm in temptation. Write down on your sheet somewhere, and I don't have this on, your, on your, a blank for it, but write down this, contextualize, contextualize, all right? You're like, I don't know how to spell it. Nobody's reading your sheet. Just do your best. <laughs> contextualize. How do I contextualize? When, and again, we, we have a, a very short window of the escape, all right? There's always, every temptation, no matter what it is. If, are you an addict to whatever? Porn, you're an addict to, to drugs, whatever. There's always, every time, a way of escape if you're a believer. Always. It might be a micro, it's a very short time, but it's there. Because that's the promise of God. And he won't let you be tempted above that you're able to bear. And so what do I do? I contextualize by just saying, hey, Jesus, by speaking the name of Jesus. When I speak the name of Jesus, all of a sudden, I have contextualized my whole life. I've contextualized the fact that Jesus is here and that he's able to, to, to deliver me from this. He's able to give me the power. I don't have the power, obviously, but he does. Amen. And so when I contextualize it, because, hey, Jesus is there anyway. Those of you guys that stay up late at night and go to places on the website, you should not go and you know it. Guess what? Jesus is there. Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian living inside you, looking at what you're looking at. And when I contextualize that, all of a sudden, bam, it's easy not to click that link. Amen? It's easy not to. It's easy not to take that drink or whatever it is that you are bound by when you contextualize the fact that, it, that I, am, I am bought with a price, therefore I am not my own. And so I'm going to glorify God in my body and my soul, which are his. But you have to contextualize it. And they didn't contextualize the fact that, hey, hey, we could holler and God would just, bam, be right there. Look at James 4, 7. Love this text, too. In James 4, 7, submit yourselves... Therefore, to God, resist the devil, and what? He will flee. This is a promise. He will flee. If I do what? Resist the devil. So first, I submit myself to God, all right? This is that whole Romans 12 thing that we talked about. And then draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's a promise. I can defeat Satan if I resist Satan. If I say, hey, no, I, I'm not. So when you're tempted, write this down somewhere on your sheet. When you're tempted, say, God, I'm all yours, submitting yourself to God. And then number two, say, Satan, you got no part of me. Or make it shorter like some of you say, not today, Satan. Not today. Amen? So, God, I'm all yours. Not today, Satan. And you're resisting the devil. And God promises he'll flee. And some of you play around with Satan. You do. You're like those two old boys that were, you know, Darwin Award winners. <laughs> and what kind of bored out in the country walking along, come across a rattlesnake? Well, they're bored. So then they think, hey, wouldn't it be super exciting to play catch with a snake? So they did. This is true. One died, the other was hospitalized. So, but they, what were they doing? They were playing around with a snake. Quit playing around with the devil. Quit playing around with the devil. In whatever you're doing. In, in Ephesians 4, 27, I, I love it how he says this in the, what is it, God's word paraphrase. Don't give the devil any opportunity to work. Some of you invite the devil into your house. 
You're like, well, we don't have seances. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about what you have in your house, what you listen to, what you do, places you go, stuff you watch on TV. You're just giving Satan an opportunity to tempt you. How dumb is that? How dumb are we? We are. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies because we're playing around with Satan because we're giving him an opportunity to work. So, don't do that. The reason we observe communion, first, because there was an alliance between Satan and the snake. Secondly, that brought with it sin and the shame. It brought sin and the shame. So when the woman saw the tree, and look at this, I love how the tree was good for food and was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she sees these things. All right, it's good for food. It, it's a delight. And if you know your Bible, all of a sudden something sounds familiar. That, that temptation passage in 1 John 2.16. And, and I love how he lays this out. This is John, the apostle that was with Jesus, you know, the whole time. And then he writes the book of 1 John. And he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, then he says, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's where you get tempted. These three, either one of them, two of them, or all three of them. It, 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 and, and that's how Eve got tempted. That's how Adam got tempted. Look at here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, desires of the flesh, me hungry. That would taste so good right? The desires of the flesh, and it could be anything that our body wants that God doesn't want for us. And then the delight of the eyes. Look at this. That it was a delight to the eyes. That's the desires of the eyes. That's whatever, you know, mm, that internet porn link looks like it's going to please my eyes. There's no harm. I'm just window shopping. No, you're about to fall into sin. You're right. Being tempted is not sin. It's when you give in to the temptation. That's when it's sin. And then he says in the tree that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. Right there. That's, it'll make me better. It'll make me smarter. It'll make people respect me more. It'll make me more successful. That's what Adam and Eve thought about that. And the end result is always shame. It's always shame. When I sin, shame comes with it. It's Satan gets a twofer. Not only did I sin against the holy God, but now I'm ashamed. And Satan's like, ha, 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 look at you. Now you're all torn up. Isn't that beautiful? Some of you are. Some of you live in shame. You live there. God doesn't want you to live there. God doesn't, shame should be a tool to bring me to Jesus, to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Man, I screwed up. Lord, thank God your mercies are new every morning. Lord, ah. Just help me, help me, help me to win over this because you promised me that I don't have to sin and that you'll be there to help me. So next time, God, help me to handle it rightly. How do I overcome shame and Satan and sin? Our text in 1 John, we were just in 1 John about those three things, but two verses above it, he's writing and he says, I write to you fathers because you know him. And who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the devil. How do I overcome my temptations? How do I overcome Satan? It, 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 I abide. Well, first, I'm, I know him. I'm a Christian. And then secondly, the word of God is abiding in me. That doesn't mean you opened your Bible on Sunday morning because Pastor John said to turn page three. 
That doesn't mean that. What does it mean? The word of God is abiding in me means I have to get it in me. And then I have to meditate on it. Amen? And some of you, you know, you, you know very little of the word of God, and it shows in your spiritual walk. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to help you. So let the word of God abide in you. And then you've got the tools, you've got the ammo when Satan comes at you. The Word of God, and this is sad, the Word of God wasn't abiding in Eve. The Word of God wasn't abiding in Adam because God had just told him what to do and what not to do. Probably the day before. Just told him. Walking with him, said, hey, all those trees, enjoy all that, enjoy, enjoy those over there. That's, yeah, I really did a great job over there. Just that one right there, that one that's in the center of the garden, you know, marked, do not mess with this. This is God's. Don't eat from that one. Just told them the word of God and they blew it. So look at what happens when we give in to temptation. And this is sad. And this is what's happening in all of our lives and some of us at a daily rate. She took of its fruit and ate. She took of its fruit and ate. And somebody says, well, that's why I never eat apples. My wife says an apple day keeps the doctor away, but I don't like apples. And Eve, you had an apple. No, you don't know your Bible. We don't know what it was. We don't know what it was. Probably wasn't an apple. God's just going to make sure it wasn't an apple because when you go to heaven, you'd just be shocked. But most of us think it's an apple because of all the pictures and the little kids' things, you know. But I found something this week I thought was kind of cool. It's a picture of the fruit in a kid's book. (laughs) Looks like a hand grenade. (laughs) which I guess makes a point because it was spiritually explosive. We don't know what it was, right, at all. Probably isn't around here anymore. But she also gave some to her husband who was with her, which blows away some of your paradigms because some of us, we have this idea that Eve's there, serpent's there, Adam's out, you know, doing whatever, you know, Googling stuff on Facebook, and and then the serpent sneaks in, and Eve's like, oh, hello, pretty snake. And then he's like, oh, I want you to try some of this. Oh, I will. And then, then the snake goes away, and then she goes, Adam, Adam. No, that's not how it happened. She gave some to her husband who was with her. The dude was right there, probably the whole time. And I wish we had more time to spend on this. This is so stinking important. First man failed. Epic failure. Epic failure. Some of you guys are failing. I love you, but you're failing. Number one, failed how? To lead spiritually. To lead spiritually. You abdicate your leadership, your spiritual leadership in your home because maybe she knows more Bible than you or you feel uncomfortable with spiritual things. Man up. Man up. You don't have to. She can know more than you. There's nothing wrong with that. My wife is, you know, it's just she goes head to head with me sometimes on different theological topics, not in a mean way, but and then we're back and forth. I mean, she knows the word of God and I've learned things from her, but, but man up to lead spiritually. (laughs) Some of you are failing. You're failing huge. And when you get to heaven, guess what? God is going to lock eyes with you as the husband, the head of the home. Some of you don't like to hear that. We'll look at it in a second. And and lay it at your doorstep. But he also failed to protect his family. To protect his family. He walked right into it. He let the woman 
make the decision. Now, oh, you're being an old school sexist right there. No, I'm being an old school biblicist. What do you mean? It's, hang on, some of you ain't going to like this at all. You've never seen it, and you're going to not like God or Pastor John. But I, this is, we, we need to delve into this. First Timothy 2. <laughs> now, this is talking in a church context, all right, first of all. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. I'm done going to the Methodist church next week, and I'm telling my husband he is too. It's <laughs> exactly what we're talking about here. Rather, she is to remain quiet. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wait a second. Does that mean I can't say anything? We think, we th- <laughs> yes, it does. Shut up. No, that's not what I mean. I'm teasing, teasing. <laughs> In this, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, right? God help young pastors. And in his experience, we, we think at least this, this part, this part is cultural to Tim. All right? Doesn't mean you can never say anything. I mean, we just had Jessica up here, right? With her cowboy hat on. So we just violated this if that's what that means. But that's not, I believe, what that means. All right? But then he gets, this is huge. Pay attention to this. John, why doesn't Point Harbor have women pastors? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Point number one. Point number two, and by the way, he says, and Adam wasn't deceived. Adam walked into the sin, eyes wide open, knowing what he was doing. Eve was tricked. So Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. But Adam walked in. Now, Adam was a transgressor too, but Eve was tricked. Adam knew what he was doing. He knew he was disobeying. But this... Some people say, well, John, yeah, but now we're all one in Christ, and, you know, the sin has been paid for, so now women can do anything in the church that a man can do. No, 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 no. That would be true if it was just this, but this, you cannot, this is clear, clear as crystal. Adam was formed first, then Eve. What does he talk about? Talking about, help me now, formed first means created. Talk about the creation. Creation, whoa, I just... Not today, Satan. (laughs) Creation. This is the creation order. Adam was formed first. That is why I will not have a woman teach. Now, this is talking specifically about men or exercise authority over men. He's talking specifically in the church. It also goes into the home. John doesn't go into politics. He doesn't say that. So are you saying you'd vote for a woman? I have. If I was in England, I would have voted for Maggie Thatcher. I love me some Maggie Thatcher. I met her, I met her daughter on a, on a cruise, and, and she had a book signing, and I'm like, so anyway, yeah. So I would have, I would have you know, done that. Her politics were kind of my politics back in the day. So, but here is talking about, and specifically in the church, and then also there, well, write down this. Let me, let me give you some help, if, if you care, because some of you are going to go, I don't care. That's not my truth, Right? You're fighting it right now, aren't you? A few of you are like, oh, I'll tell you what, this church, oh, a bunch of sexist jerks, I hate their guts. <laughs> My conscience is held in bondage to the word of God. 
It is. It has to be. Yours is supposed to be too. And so when there's something that is clear, there's, we've had... Ah. No, I'm not. I'm not. We had someone who used to be on staff who was a woman who's not a pastor in another church. Okay, I did. And I love her. I pray for her every week. I pray for different pastors every week, and I pray for her every week. But I don't believe she's right in doing that. I love her. But I, don't believe, I believe she's violating this scripture, and it's so freaking clear. Adam, this is in the creation. Adam was formed first. That's why a woman, I, 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 and, and this is not to say you're less, ladies, please. It's not to say you're less. There are different roles that God made for us in his creation order. No, no one is more important than the other, but he's talking about leadership roles in the church and in the home. And when you screw that up, you do, do what happened in the, <laughs> the, the first sin, when, when that lady said, oh, yeah, I'm going to make the decision here, Adam. And he's like, okay, baby. This is tasty. I was wanting this. And I believe you more than I believe Jesus. Idiot. <laughs> Write down these. If you, if you want to look at other passages, Colossians 3. Okay, Colossians 3. You'll find it in there. It talks about marriage and the, and the order in the home and Ephesians 5. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. Don't have time to... To delve into them. But if you, if you really, even if you're fighting it, even if you're like, right, then, then fight it, at least fight the fight fair and look at what God says. It would be a whole lot easier for me if God hadn't said that. Our church would be bigger, I guarantee you. There's a bunch of stuff that God says that I got to preach that our church, we could probably have a mega church because it'd be all happy, wonderful unicorns, butterflies. But there ain't no unicorns, and butterflies are overrated. All right. So anyway, all right, I tore that up. So anyway, both but man was created to be the head, uh, uh, and woman was created to be the heart. Whenever you have something that has two heads, guess what it is? Huh? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's abnormal, right? You need someone to be the final decision maker. Now, in here, I know, I know, I know, and online, I should. Well, John, but I, you said, I married a jerk. I married an idiot. Okay, it was my fault, but he fooled me. He put on, he was all wonderful Mr. Sweetness, and then we got married, and I'm like, I have married the spawn of Satan. What do I do? Well, sucks to be you. But two, and, and the Bible talks about it, what is it, Second Peter, how you can impact him. You ain't going to like what he says, but... It's, it's, it's basically living a godly life and not trying to nag him to Jesus because that's John's version. Because nagging never works. It never works. Unless your man is a dish rag. And what'd you marry that for? So, I don't even know where I was going. I'm totally lost. All right. Oh, di- different roles. Yeah, different, different roles. Man was created to be the head. Woman was created to be the heart of the home. There's a whole bunch of, and I'm, if you know my wife, she is no dish rag. She is no doormat. Good night. She is spicy. <laughs> and, you know, and when we got married first two years, whew, it was rough. Because, you know, I mean, we just butted heads, butted heads, butted heads, butted heads. And, and she understands this thing of, ladies, you hate this word, uh, some of you do, but this thing of submission, she understands it. She understood it back then, she thought, but she has really grown into it and she's learned to trust me. And when it comes to a decision, a final decision that's made, I'll take in input all day long, 
but I'm the one that's going to answer to Jesus for the decision. And so I make the decision. There's a lot of decisions she makes I don't even know about, I don't want to know about, I don't like to get in the weeds, whatever. Do, do whatever, you know? So, all right, okay. Both equally important before God, right? Both have dignity before God. The roles for male and female. And, and we perform different roles in that. This is something to Google, too. All right, don't have time to go into that, but the, defining the debate is between complementarianism and egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is, is, hey, there's no separate gender roles, and everybody leads, you know, collaboratively, which doesn't work, right? But this is what I believe Scripture teaches complementarianism. The husband should be the spiritual head of his family, and that the husband and the wife will have different and complementary roles in their marriage, not one more important than the other. So complementarianism, not egalitarianism. You're like, oh, John, I don't write this down. Biblical manhood and womanhood.com, I think it is. You can Google it. Biblical manhood and womanhood. They do the best job of laying it out biblically. You may like it, you may not. But if you're really honestly wanting to know what God says, Google those folks. Because they have some women writers. Elizabeth Elliot, right? The, 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 the wife of, of, of uh, I've just lost his name, Jim Elliot, who died as a missionary when he was pierced with all the, the spears from the Aka Indians. And she writes for them, and she is all over this. She is all over this. She says, man, I, I love the word of God here. Because she understands some things. Now, but we must move on. All right. All right. <laughs> Here's the thing, dudes. In fallenness... It was the dude's fault. It was the dude's fault. Yeah. It was. Because God called him to do what? Lead. And he abdicated his leadership and chose his wife over God. And what she wanted over what God wanted. And then it says here, then the eyes of both were opened. They knew they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Like, you know, that worked. What, what is he saying? Sin brings shame. It always does. Now, write this down. I don't know if we have blanks for this or not. You might have to squeeze this in. You might cover up your external sin, but you'll never cover, cover up your internal shame. You could cover up sometimes the things you've done, but, but that you can't cover up your internal shame for doing those things. And some of you are just almost defeated by that, and you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Just repent, get it right, move on. God says, I forgot it. Once you really came and repented, I buried it in the deepest sea. I put it behind my back. Why do you keep bringing it up? I can't forgive myself. That's the dumbest thing, dumbest thing anybody could say. Can I help you? It's, it's not about you forgiving yourself. If you say you can't forgive yourself, you're saying you're more righteous than Jesus. Because if he could forgive you of something, you know, he'd forgive me of my crap, then who am I to say, well, I can't? My standard of righteousness is higher than yours. So forgive yourself. Walk away from it. Leave it in the past. The mercies of God are new when? Every, Every morning. Thank you, Jesus. Now, so, but they were, they were ashamed. They were ashamed, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among <laughs> the trees of the garden. They hid themselves because they were what? Ashamed. They used to love hearing God coming. Oh, man, it's God coming. Now they're dead spiritually. They don't want God around. John, why are my, you know, in-laws, why do they hate church and God and stuff like that? Because they, they don't want God around. They're not, they're not believers, right? They don't have the Holy Spirit bearing witness. 
And so they don't want God around. Now Adam and Eve don't want God around. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, this is hilarious, where are you? Now God knew exactly where he was. But God's making a point here. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He's like, I'm buck naked. I'm ashamed. Oh, no, God can't see me naked, which is dumb because God sees all of us naked, right? Some of us, he has a sense of humor. All right. I love this stuff. Who told you? Have you eaten a tree? And the man said, the woman, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Oh, it's her fault. It's that woman that you made. (laughs) Write this down. When I'm living in shame, I'm spreading the blame. When I'm living in shame, it's true, I'm spreading the blame because I don't like shame, so it's your fault. I'll try to help you share some of my shame. So blame shift number one, it was the woman. Blame shift number two, it was you. That takes audacity. But we do that. Some of you right now, you're mad at God. Well, I tell you what, I prayed and prayed. I prayed for a good husband. God gave me this jerk. It's God's fault. (laughs) Or apply it to your life, your, your employment, your kids, right? Somebody else's fault. Then the Lord said to the woman, he goes, all right, let's talk to the woman. What is this that you have done? <laughs> and the woman said, it's that serpent who deceived me. By the way, by implication, who you made. If you hadn't made a serpent, if you'd have made a, you know, a different kind of fuzzy creature that was nice and had a good disposition, then I would not have sinned. There's like, bam, 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 four blames there. The Lord said to the serpent, all right, let me, let me talk to you. Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the beasts of the field. On your belly you should go. So I guess before I had, you know, ticka, 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 ticka. I guess, I don't know. The, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. When you see those videos about snakes going in the sand, you know, in, in uh, uh, wherever they're at in the sand, that's, you know, don't feel sorry for them. <laughs> the reason we celebrate communion, because there is an alliance between Satan and the snake, and, which brought sin and the shame. We are a mess. And, and, and not getting out of this by ourselves. And God, hallelujah here, gets spiritually proactive. He could have just said, fine, whatever. Dude, enjoy yourselves. Do debt. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy that marriage. But he, he promises and he prophesies, number three, salvation and the Savior. He says this, I will put enmity. Now, that's an old word, but it just means, you know, fighting, disagreement, hatred between you, snake, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and I see that every time Miss Robin comes across a snake, I see this scripture come to fulfillment. But look at this. He, all right, her offspring, her offspring, he shall bruise your head, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first prophecy, the first uh, promise of the Messiah, of Jesus, the Savior, and it happened on the cross. When he crushed Satan, got victory over Satan on the cross, but Satan 
brought the bloody conclusion of the cross because of that. So this is the first prophecy, the first promise in the Bible of a coming Savior. And that's why we observe communion. And, and believers have for 2,000 plus years. In every culture, it, with all of our worship style differences, we always do communion the same. This and baptism remain the same. It, because Jesus, the seed of a woman crushed Satan's head. But it was a blood-soaked and a, and a blood-stained victory as he did it on the cross. And he was on that cross for me, amen, and for you. And we don't deserve it. And that's what communion is all about. We don't deserve it. But even though Adam and Eve are promised the coming Redeemer, and so it's like, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't even know if they understood that. I don't know if they even got that at that point. But, but even though they're promised this coming Redeemer, sin has consequences. My sin has consequences. Your sin has consequences. Even if we get it forgiven, Right? If I, if I uh, uh, kill somebody, I might get forgiveness from their family, but guess what? If we're in a just system, which I'm kind of wondering nowadays, I got to pay. I got to pay with some jail time. Sin has consequences. That's how God set it up. So God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to bring you from spiritual death, where you are right now, feeling all that shame, to spiritual life again. It's going to take the blood of my son, Jesus. But even though I'll redeem you with the blood of Jesus, your sin is going to have some consequences. And that's the suffering and the sacrifice. It's not Jesus' sacrifice. We're talking about our sacrifice here, our suffering. Well, John, how do we suffer? Well, he tells in the text... Says the woman, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. All right, so there's the, the sacrifice of easy childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Amen, ladies? Really? I thought I'd get more. <laughs> because every time it seems like your husband says, Oh, baby, I got this ache. Oh, you ought to pop a child out of you. <laughs> See how that feels. You don't know anything about pain. <laughs> now, and most of you, that's in, in this. Now, there's a few of you fertile myrtles. You just pop them out. But most folks say, oh, and it used to be easy. You know, and we'd have probably a lot more kids. But you had that first child, you're like, no more. We had Johnny. We're having Johnny at the Portsmouth Naval. I was in the Navy. And uh, we went to the Portsmouth Naval Hospital with, with Robin was pregnant, and, and we come in, and she's like, oh, oh, oh. So we come in, and they, they check her out, and they're going, you ain't even close. So they set us back. And we come in like an hour and a half later, and they're like, you ain't even close. Like three, four times before they finally said, okay, you can come in. And so we're in there, and this is back in the day. I don't know how it is nowadays. They, they, we were just separated with some pull curtain thingies, and there were a whole bunch of other women having their children at the same time. And just one poor, tired doctor. And he's coming around, and I'm listening to all these other women who are in bigger stages of having children than Robin's just starting. And this one lady next to me, she's married to a sailor, and she's learned her language from him. <laughs> oh, she is just cussing him out. And <laughs> I'm just going on and on. It's your fault, you blankety blanker. I tell you what, I should have listened to my mama and not married you. Ah! Ah! I'm thinking, don't blame him, blame Eve. Blame Eve, girl. Get your theology correct. So the sacrifice of easy childbirth. And then the sacrifice of easy marriage. And this hits home. And, and some of you could get mad about this, but I'm sorry. It's the word of God. Your desire, Eve, should be contrary to your husband's. 
but he shall rule over you. Mm, mm, mm. Now look at it in the NLT. And you will desire to control your husband. Some of you do a good job of that. Not a good job, but you do that. But he will rule over, over you. It, it, it's, the, it's the boom, 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 boom. That the rolls thing. The, 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 bam, just hitting, 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 hitting. Hitting your heads together. Different verses translate this a little bit differently. But like that's the basic sense. That you're going to have issues. And it's going to be hard to do this thing of submitting. Because most of us don't really understand biblically what it is. And it takes supernatural Holy Spirit fullness to really do it. And do it right. I'm not talking about, you know, you being a doormat. If you, again, if you know my wife, she is not a doormat. She is not a doormat. And, and so we, we had a bunch of this our first few years of marriage, you know. And, and we were both trying to serve Jesus. We were in Bible college trying to, you know, get into the ministry and all. But my goodness, we had no idea. It was a sacrifice of an easy marriage. So in other words, in the garden, things were really good marriage-wise. Yeah, it was paradise. So you can, you, John, why, why is it so hard to have a good, happy, fulfilling marriage? Good marriages can be had, but only if you're living them according to the paradise principles we talked about last week, right? According to the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the design of the creator of marriage. Don't you think that would be best? It would. Write this down. We don't have time to go there. I wish we did, but Ephesians 5, 17 through 33. Ephesians 5, 17 through 33. I mentioned Ephesians 5, I think, earlier. But Ephesians 5, 17 through 33, he talks about living in the... He says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess. This is the old King James. But be filled with the what? The Holy Spirit. So don't be controlled by booze. He's not saying there don't drink. He's saying don't be drunk with wine. That's the, that's the dividing line on alcohol. Don't be controlled by alcohol. But instead, be controlled and be filled and be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes right from that into marriage. You know the, 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 the silver bullet to your marriage, really? The paradise principle is living your marriage as a spirit-filled wife or a spirit-filled husband. Trust me. This, this has radically changed our marriage. It's rad- you ask Robin. It has radically changed our marriage. Because the, 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 he talks about the, the works of the flesh, or anger, hatred, you know, variance, uh, uh, battles, uh, all of these things that some of you have in your marriage. He says, but conversely, the fruit of the Spirit, this is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith. Man, if you had love in your marriage, those of you who are going through it, or gentleness, or peace, yeah, but it's her fault. Don't blame her. Start with you. By the way, you're the leader. Suck it up, buttercup. You married a girl. Now fix your marriage. Fix it. Lead. Somebody has to be the hero. Might as well be the person who's supposed to be the hero. Rescue that damsel in distress. Then there's the sacrifice of easy money. Easy money? What in the world? Well, look at this. <laughs> this is John's interpretation of Genesis. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife... In other words, you let her lead you, and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Right? He's a basic gardener, right? In, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face 
you shall eat bread. So before that, it was just probably, apparently really easy, right? No problems, no issues, man. Just go out there and you return and you feel fulfilled. It's awesome. And you got this great crop. Till you return from the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return, Bubba. John, why has work so hard? I'll tell you why it's hard. Why do I have a jerky boss? You just say, thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks a lot, you jerk. It, was, it, was, it used to be easy in, in the design. Now it's, it's something that God says he uses, but he, you have to have faith. You have to be spirit-filled, really do it right again. The, woman, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now the sacrifice of innocent blood that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. When you have garments of skin, what does that mean? Huh? Something died. Something eh, died. Something innocent, right? Quite possibly a lamb, a couple lambs. And God kills them to clothe because these people are ashamed. So the first blood is shed in the garden. Something that didn't do anything. It wasn't its fault. This is the first hint of the coming Jewish sacrificial system, which really points to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And in Revelation 3, or excuse me, 13, talks about the Lamb. This is Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So it's pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus on the cross. And then he says, guess what? You're going to sacrifice even more. And we all sacrifice this every day, the sacrifice of Eden. We're not living in paradise anymore. Then the Lord, or the, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. I mean, he didn't just say, All right, you need to go. He drove him out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim. This is, a, this is an angelic being and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He's really serious about keeping us out of Eden, isn't he? And we've been driven out from that fruitful place to our fallen place, separated from God in the garden, headed to an eternal hell. And this is where we live in this fallen world. But the seed of the woman promised came through the womb of a virgin, lived a perfect life, no sin, because he's God in the flesh. Then he died on that cross, innocent, before you and for me. Went to that grave for three days and three nights and then rose up victorious over the grave, over my sins and over your sins, amen? And offers us, in place of hell, heaven, because he purchased it with his blood. And we honor his sacrifice as a church and as a local body by observing communion. And so, if I could have the pastors and the deacons come forward, please, and we will observe the Lord's table. Now, while they're coming, this is the Lord's table. The Bible doesn't call it Point Harbor's table. So it's for believers. It's for the blood-bought people of God. But if you're here and you're not a believer, hey, it's great to have you here. And, 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 but this isn't for you. That's really why we do it. Somebody says, why don't we do it more often Sunday morning? Because we have more unbelievers with us Monday morning. And sometimes, you know, it'd be, or Sunday morning, 
It can be a little awkward, I suppose, but, but if you're here and you're just checking out this Jesus thing, but you don't have Jesus as your Savior, this table is not for you. Uh, but, but, but we're glad you're here. If you have a child who isn't a believer yet with you, let them observe and learn, but this isn't for them either, okay? And if you're a believer living in disobedience, you're, you know you're disobeying God at some point and you don't have time to get it fixed right now, then this isn't for you either. And I'll show you why in a second. So the deacons, why don't you guys start passing out the elements? And I'll, I'll track through this with you real quickly. In 1 Corinthians 11, now it comes from the Gospels, but Paul gets kind of deeper into what the Lord's Supper is. And some of you don't maybe understand it. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body. Now, some denominations believe it actually turns into the body of Jesus. We don't believe that because Jesus was standing there in his body when he did this. We believe this is a, a symbol, which is for you. It's, it's to remind us of his broken body. Do this in remembrance of me, right? And then he says, all right. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Again, to remember what it took me to get you out of hell. It took my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death or you preach. You guys are preachers every time you do this, every time you participate in the Lord's Supper. You proclaim the Lord's death until he, until he comes. And he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, this is what I was talking about will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So in other words, this is to show us what our sins cost, what it takes us to get to heaven. Not anything we can do, not my baptism, not my church membership, not giving money to church, nothing. I can only come empty-handed and say, Jesus, you shed your blood on the cross for me. And, I, I, and you offer me eternal life, free, free gift, and I'm asking for it. I'm asking for it. And just receive it empty-handed. But if I come to him and say, I want to participate in the Lord's Supper, but I've got sins in my life that I've not taken care of. I'm not talking some secret sin that you don't know about. I'm talking about something that you know. Let's say, for instance, baptism. If you're here and you're a believer, you've not been baptized, and you know you should be, then I, if I were you, I think I'd back off today anyway, unless you're going to make the decision, I'm going to get baptized next time they baptize here. But you, it's so clear in the Word of God, but that's the first step of obedience. Some of you have been Christians for years, and you've never been baptized. And so you're disobedient, and what you're saying is, well, that one disobedience is not a big sin, and so, you know, and you're, and, and well, let me let him talk about it. Let the person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, in other words, you don't understand what it took for Jesus to save you, drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. It's pretty heavy. Paul said there's some people in that church who took the Lord's Supper, you know, just like, yeah, 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 whatever, flagrantly sinning, and God says, I had to bring him to heaven early. But if we judge ourselves truly, so right where you're at, maybe you should judge yourself and say, right before taking the Lord's Supper, Lord, please forgive me for X, whatever it is. We would not be judged. When we judge by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned 
along with the world. Now, give me one of those, Jose, if you would, please. Thank you, sir. So take this. All right. If I haven't scared you. <laughs> and so you don't need to be overly scared. He's a compassionate God, but he says, hey, this, this symbol is very important to me. I shed my blood. I had my body broken to get you to heaven, and you're going to hang on to your sins and then have the audacity to come and act like everything's cool between me and you? It's not cool. So, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread. On the bottom side of this is a little piece of bread, all right? And it's like a cracker because it's what? Unleavened, right? We get this from the Passover. So take that out, put it in your hand, look at it. It says, then he broke it in pieces. So I don't know if you can break it, but see if you can break it to symbolize the broken body of Jesus. And he gave thanks to God for it. This is what Jesus did. He broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. I'm going to ask Pastor Dan if he'll thank God for his broken body. Father God, we come before your throne of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, that he willingly went to the cross and had his body broken and hurt and whipped and bled for us. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made for sin in our place. And help us this morning as we remember this to not to take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, then he broke it in pieces, said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant or the new contract between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death. Until he comes again, do this to remember me. I'm going to ask John to thank God for his shed blood. Heavenly Father, we come before you today just uh, humble servants of uh, undeserving blood creatures. Lord, we thank you for your blood soaked sacrifice Mm. and your victory over our sin. Take the top off here. Be careful. So this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Do this to remember me. Lord, thank you. Tell him that. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. What could wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What could make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Lord, thank you so much for your broken body, your innocent broken body, your innocent shed blood, because it took that to satisfy the wrath of a holy God. And I praise you for that. Help me to never forget that and help me to live in light of that. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.
Amen. Stand to your feet. Keith's going to lead us in a song. Have a great week. God bless you.